Welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. This is episode 246. Boundaries aren't truly boundaries unless they are enforced. Now, I know that's kind of a lengthy title, but I think it's necessary. As we get into this week's lesson, we're going to be talking about that that crucial part of our lives, and that has to do with emotional boundaries. Even though I didn't physically say the word emotional in the title, those are the boundaries that we're talking about. But I was just laughing in in my mind, which happens quite often to be real honest with you, I am broadcasting right after Thanksgiving in 2023. And all of a sudden, I started seeing some of the multiple football games that would have gone on throughout the United States where people were coming together and just trying to find something to do with their time while they were waiting on the turkey or even after their festivities where they're known for having a good-hearted and hopefully a healthy game of football but I, I was just imagining what it would look like, because I know that this does happen, because you don't have strong boundary lines. You may say, you know, the, the tree at that end over there is out of bounds that direction, and the, the car over there, you, you just have to have to use kind of markers. And you don't have those clear lines like you have in a real football game. I just watched a high school football game a little over a week ago. And it's very clear 99.9% of the time whether somebody's in bounds or somebody is not. Now, there, there are examples where it's really close, especially with the rules of whether... You get one foot in as you catch the ball, or you have to get two feet in, depending on your level of football. But, you know, the majority of it, it, it's obvious. Like, if somebody's standing on the sidelines and they catch the football, they're out of bounds. But when you're playing amongst family and friends, sometimes you may give certain people, especially those that you care about the most, or maybe somebody you want to impress, maybe you give them a little extra room on the right or on the left for them to be able to run. And that was what I was picturing in my mind because I've seen it happen where you've got somebody who's running and they are clearly out of bounds, but because of the relationship Somebody gives them an extra measure of grace, maybe because they're not the most talented person out there, and they just, everybody laughs it off. And that can happen with emotional boundaries as well, but usually nobody's laughing it off. It wasn't very long ago that I was hearing a story regarding a family, and the boundaries, quote-unquote, that 
should have been established and should have led to healthy interactions were just an absolute joke. And I've seen that many, many times over my career. But this one was especially egregious. And that does not lead to healthy interactions. That leads to hurt. That may lead to bitterness. That may lead to relationships not being not functioning at all in the future. You know, some people, they're the type to test your boundaries. They want to see just how far they can push you. I think I may have told this story, but it would have been a long time ago if I did. Where I had somebody many years ago, and they... got a call from their loved one and their loved one wanted to drop off their dog. I don't remember where they were going, but they wanted to drop off their dog at this person's house. And this person said, no, I'm not going to be home. No. And the person said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. And they did drop the dog off. And the person, the first person just accepted that. They weren't happy at all, but the person with the dog knew that this person's boundary did was not worth anything because it wasn't truly a boundary. It was like having spaghetti where it was just kind of waving in the wind and it was not going to truly be a boundary that was going to be enforced. As we jump into this pretty difficult set a scripture this week. We've been making our way through the end of King David's reign in Israel at the beginning of 1 Kings 1 and then 2. And then we've been starting into King Solomon's reign. One of the things that I talked to you about a few weeks ago was my frustration with King David and the fact that he left unfinished business for his son to have to take care of. It's one thing to have unfinished business at the end of your life that you have not been able to accomplish. But what he was handing to Solomon were things that were well, 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 well overdue, and he just didn't deal with it, and he handed it forward to Solomon. We've seen how Solomon handed, um, handled, as well as handed, Abiathar the priest who had sided with Adonijah, who was David's oldest son remaining, who had tried to take the throne before David was even dead. He was trying to get a jump on Solomon and to take it over. And Abiathar the priest, Joab, who was head of the army, they were two of the ones that had jumped ship and had sided with Adonijah. And Solomon's already taken care of Adonijah. We've seen how he provided him mercy, gave him a second chance. But Adonijah tried to do an end around and go through Solomon's mom Bathsheba, convinced her that he had the best of intentions and he just wanted love in his life and she should go to Solomon and ask him to allow Adonijah to marry Abishag, uh, who had been the young beautiful lady who had kept David warm in his last days. And Solomon saw it coming, and he's like, nope, not playing. And that was the end of Adjaniah's story. And then we have Abiathar, who was the priest, 
and just the incredible story last week of the fact that Abiathar had sided with Adonijah and Solomon would have had every right to have made that the end of Abiathar's story, but he honored the relational capital that Abiathar had invested in King David where he had been by David's side and then walked with him through difficult times. But I warned you, if you were listening last week, that this week was going to be a different story. So we're going to come upon a couple of different people and how Solomon handled them, and one being Joab. So Joab, oh goodness, Joab is not my favorite person (laughs) And I've mentioned that multiple times. Um, Joab is David's nephew and has been in charge of David's army for a long, long time. And when it comes to military strategy and taking care of business in that way, he did a great job for David. And that may be one of the reasons that David left that as a loose end. But when David is passing the baton to Solomon, I'm going to read, and I've got it down in the additional information in our show notes. I'm going to read what David said to Solomon about Joab, because Joab's part of this set of scriptures. So today we're going over 1 Kings 2, 28 through 46. The beginning of it is going to talk about Joab. And hard as I tried, I could not find a handle to grab out of that part of the text. It's just a sad, sad way for Joab's story to end. But Joab did it to himself. And that's just a fact. He just kept pushing the limits. He kept doing exactly what we're talking about in the fact that he just kept, David would tell him, you know, I want Absalom alive. Absalom was David's first rebellious son that took over the kingdom for a short time. And he told everybody, spare young Absalom, and Joab killed him. And David did nothing about it. And that was not the only time that Joab knew that David wasn't going to do anything. So I guess guess we could have done a comparison in this of the enforcement of boundaries from David to Solomon because that's really kind of what we're seeing especially in these early days of Solomon's reign and so in the beginning of first kings we've got two five through six and then we've got two eight through nine it says and there is something else you know what Joab son of Zeruiah did to me when he murdered my two army commanders Abner son of Ner and Amazah son of Jether He pretended that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace, staining his belt and sandals with innocent blood. Do with him what you think best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. And David's right about what Joab did. I mean, you kind of began to think as we went through the story of David that David was just clueless as to what was going on around him. And sometimes he was. Sometimes, just like Adonijah said, David wasn't paying attention. But, in this case, he knew what was going on. He just didn't do anything about it. Again, boundaries aren't boundaries unless they are enforced. 8 through 9 says, And remember Shimei, 
I, we will, we'll hold that until we get down to that part because that's the second part of the story and that's where we really are going to get our handle of the week in other words that application point so let's just do the Joab part first and then we'll go to Shimei Shimei is a character goodness but Joab was a character just a character of a different kind and so we start with 226 out of first kings it says then the king said to abiathar the priest go back to your home in anathoth you deserve to die well i will not kill you because you carried the ark of the sovereign lord for david my father you shared all his hardships so solomon deposed abiathar from his position as priest of the lord thereby fulfilling the prophecy the lord had given at shiloh concerning the descendants of eli that's what we talked about last week Solomon showed mercy. He wasn't doing, he wasn't, he wasn't not enforcing boundaries. That wasn't what the case was. He clearly stated that he knew that Abiathar had not been loyal when it came to Adonijah, but because of the relational capital that Abiathar had built up with David, such as you shared all his hardships, he gave him mercy. And sometimes mercy is definitely appropriate. But we're going to see a little bit later what happens when mercy is given. And just like Adonijah had done previously, Solomon had given him mercy. And it was mercy enough for Adonijah to turn around and try again to hang Solomon. And Solomon went, that is it. Okay, so 28. Joab had not joined Absalom's earlier rebellion, but he had joined Adonijah's rebellion. So when Joab heard about Adonijah's death, he ran to the sacred tent of the Lord and grabbed onto the horns of the altar. I'm going to stop right there. I was thinking about this earlier today. Joab ran into the sacred tent of the Lord and grabbed onto the horns of the altar. And if this had been a true attempt to run to God and to surrender to Him, this story might have turned out differently. I mean, it's not like Solomon had it in for Joab. It, It wasn't that kind of thing. But Joab was doing as so many people do. And he was running to religion, trying to bypass justice. He was hoping that if he ran in there, grabbed the horns of the altar, and just pleaded for mercy, that he was going to get by with his crimes and continue to do what he had done for many, many years. But that was not the case. When this was reported to King Solomon, he sent Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, to execute him. Benaiah went to the sacred tent of the Lord and said to Joab, the king's orders, the king, the king orders you to come out. But Joab answered, no, I will die here. And so Joab was thinking, If I stay right here and they can't pull me away, they're not going to kill me in this sacred space. So Benaiah returned to the king and told him what Joab had said. 
Do as he said, the king replied, kill him there beside the altar and bury him. This will remove the guilt of Joab's senseless murders from me and my father's family. The Lord will repay him for the murders of the two men who were more righteous and better than he. For my father knew nothing about the deaths of Abner, son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and of Amasa, son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. Stopping there. It's not that David didn't know about them, because we know that he's he's mentioned that to Solomon, but he was not involved in their deaths. He found out after the fact, and he didn't choose to hold Joab accountable at that time. 33, may their blood be on Joab and his descendants forever, and may the Lord grant peace forever to David, his descendants, and his dynasty, and his throne. So, Benaiah, son of Joiada, returned to the sacred tent and killed Joab, and he was buried at his home in the wilderness. Then the king appointed Benaiah to command the army in place of Joab, and he installed Zadok the priest to take the place of Abiathar. And so we end our season of time with Joab. Joab accomplished some good things. Again, he was a good commander when it came to accomplishing things for the military. But he did things his own way. He did not follow David's commands always. And as a result, it eventually came to take him out. Now this next section is about Shimei. Do you remember Shimei? Shimei was that person who when David was headed out of Jerusalem, when Absalom was taking over, and David had the mournful walk out of Jerusalem, Shimei cut up. Okay, I don't know if you know what cut up is, but where I live, I live in the New Orleans area. I've seen some cutting up over the time, and that's what it's called with, with certain families. Where somebody is, uh, well, not on their best behavior. And so Shimei was absolutely just calling David everything in the world and making fun of him and just making a mess of things, making a scene. And then when David comes back into Jerusalem victorious, Shimei all of a sudden is, Oh no, please have mercy on me. And David chooses to have mercy on him until David and his unfinished business. So, 1 Kings 2, 8 through 9. And remember Shimei, son of Gera, the man from Bahurim in Benjamin. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord that I would not kill him. But that oath does not make him innocent. You are a wise man, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. I just want to strangle David. Uh, I mean, David, 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 David. Like, why didn't you just take care of things if that's what you thought was right? Instead, you hand this off to your son. Like, oh my goodness. Well, he did it, and there's nothing we can do about it. But we're going to see here... That Solomon, in his wisdom, tried to figure out exactly what to do with Shimei. So verse 36, the king then sent for Shimei and told him, Build a house here in Jerusalem and live here. 
but don't step outside the city to go anywhere else. On the day you, you so much as cross the Kidron Valley, you will surely die and your blood will be on your own head. Shimei replied, your sentence is fair. I will do whatever my lord the king commands. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem for a long time. I mean, Shimei knew he was living on borrowed time. He had cursed the king, God's anointed, and had managed to live all this time since that. And here Solomon is calling him in and saying, I'm going to allow you to live. But you're going to live inside of these parameters, inside of these boundaries. And if you do, you will live until you have whatever kind of death that is not at my hands. But do not go outside of that. And Shimei says, your sentence is fair. I will do whatever my lord the king commands. And he lived there for a long time. But we see that was about three years. Verse 39, but three years later, two of Shimei's slaves ran away to King Achish, son of Mekah of Gath. When Shimei learned where they were, he saddled his donkey and went to Gath to search for them. When he found them, he brought them back to Jerusalem. Solomon heard that Shimei had left Jerusalem and had gone to Gath and returned. So the king sent for Shimei and demanded, Didn't I make you swear by the Lord and warn you not to go anywhere else or you would surely die? And you replied, the sentence is fair. I will do as you say. Then why haven't you kept your oath to the Lord and obeyed my command? Verse 44, the king also said to Shimei, You certainly remember all the wicked things you did to my father David. May the Lord now bring that evil on your own head. But may I, King Solomon, receive the Lord's blessings, and may one of David's descendants always sit on this throne in the presence of the Lord. Then at the king's command, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, took Shimei outside and killed him. Benaiah is has <laughs> become the hitman here. Uh, in the early days of Solomon's reign, he is helping clean up David's unfinished business. And the very last line says, So the kingdom was now firmly in Solomon's grip. Shimei, Shimei, Shimei. What do we have here? It was another case where Solomon was willing to provide mercy. Just like he did with Adonijah the priest, he took away his, his responsibilities as the priest, but he allowed him to live. In other words, he gave him mercy and then he gave him grace. He did the same with Shimei. Shimei had already received mercy from David. I don't know if he knew what David told Solomon to do to him. I don't know if he told him that to give him a bloody death. I don't know. He may have. But he knows what Solomon, the agreement that they have. And he has agreed that this is fair. It wouldn't have mattered whether it was, quote, fair or not. Solomon was king and he could do whatever he wanted. That's just how it happened back in that day. But Shimei violated the terms of the contract and did it with everybody to see. Now, even though we don't have this part of the story because it never happened, but what do you think might have happened if Solomon had turned a blind eye to Shimei violating their agreement? 
you think Shimei would have come back into Jerusalem and lived happily ever after inside the boundaries of their agreement. I don't think there's any way in the world, even though we do not have proof of that because Solomon didn't let him live long enough to find out. But Shimei knew that he had been given a extra measure of mercy and eventually he chose to take his chances let me see if Solomon really means these boundaries that we agreed upon who is it in your life that plays a shimmy eye. Shimmy eyes were physical boundaries. It was an agreement. It was a contract that was between shimmy eye and Solomon. But we all have emotional contracts with others. They may not be as specked out as shimmy eyes with Solomon, or sometimes they are. Let's say that we have been in a relationship with somebody and they have violated our trust. But they want to engage in another relationship. And we decide, I'm going to give you a second chance, but these are the boundaries for now. I need to see how you handle this much trust, this much space in my heart. And then we'll see what happens in the future. And 10 seconds later, they're already testing those boundaries. Every one of us know what that looks like, whether we are a strong boundary-driven person or not. My weekly assignment feature for you this week is take some time this week to prayerfully reassess your boundaries and see which ones might need to be reinforced. Whether that be reinforced that you need to have a conversation with someone and say, hey, this is not healthy. We need to reset these boundaries. Or they just need to be reinforced in your heart and mind because you can see that you, you know yourself. And you can tell that I'm about to cave and it's not going to be a good, healthy readjustment and I need to reinforce these boundaries to myself so that if and when this person tries to breach them I will be prepared and I will keep this in a healthy manner you know these stories from the early days of Solomon's reign I don't envy Solomon I, I surely don't envy Solomon getting his father's unfinished business dumped on him and having to deal with that as he's trying to learn the ropes of being the new king of Israel. But you can see that even though this is not yet to the place where he asks God for that extra measure of wisdom, then he's a wise young man. And he's making wise decisions. They're ugly. 
Like it's it's so different than how we think about life and if somebody violates regulations that, that it's an automatic death penalty. Like we don't understand that, especially in the United States. But we do understand that the culture was very different and Solomon had that right. And he was starting out his reign letting people know I'm not playing. Like, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do and I'm going to lead this nation. I'm going to honor my promises to my dad. And this is this is how my reign is going to go. Now, sadly, we know that Solomon did not always make the wisest of decisions. Next week, we get to kind of have a little fun in the fact that we get to see the interactions between Solomon and the Lord when it comes to wisdom. Something that we all so desperately need. We've seen him exercise wisdom already. But we're going to see God give him an even extra measure of that wisdom. But we each need to ask God for wisdom when it comes to our boundaries. Our boundaries in our personal lives, in the choices that we make. Our boundaries with other people, whether it's people that we have intimate relationships with or it's people that we work with. We need to have healthy boundaries. And those boundaries are not boundaries unless they are enforced. You can say, I am not working past 5 o'clock. But if you turn around and every day you work past 5 o'clock, then that's not a boundary. That's just you tossing out something that is like a spaghetti boundary. Where it can just wiggle and move with the wind and that's how we get ourselves in trouble so I'm going to remind you of that phrase that I've mentioned more than one time when you say yes to something you've said no to something else and it may be family time it may be your own mental emotional physical health it may be other commitments but we are all allotted 24 hours in a day and when we say yes to something, we've said no to something else just by virtue of allocating time and energy. It's not a bad thing. It's just how life is. But I challenge you to prayerfully reassess your boundaries this week and see which ones need to be reinforced. If you have questions about that, if you just need somebody to pray for you as you have some difficult conversations, you can reach out to me at encouragingothersinlovingjesus at gmail.com. We've also got our Facebook group, Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. Got Twitter, got Instagram. We got all those covered. You can look down below in the show notes. You can find the scriptures. You can find the resources. You can look down at the very bottom and you can see the QR code to get to now all hundred, all 200 
146 episodes of this podcast. I cannot, I, I'm telling you, I cannot get over that. I will never get over the fact that God chose to use me to speak his word to the nations through this podcast. Never. I never want to take this opportunity for granted because I have no idea what you are dealing with today. I have no idea whether you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or not. If you do not and you want to talk with somebody about that, please reach out to somebody who you know is a Christ follower or reach out to me. Let's talk about spending the rest of your life pursuing a love relationship with the one who loves you no matter what. Who gave his life on the cross for your sins so that you could be in relationship with him through all eternity. I thank you for tuning in. I thank you for sharing this podcast with others. Again, it's not free for me to broadcast. I pay every month. But to this point, it is still free for you to listen to each week and free for you to share. Please take advantage of that. Please, if you wouldn't mind, give me a review on whichever podcast platform that you're listening on. I'm not telling you how to review. I'm just saying I'd really like your feedback. Because your feedback can help others to be introduced to God's Word during this podcast series. Which is going to go on until God either takes me home or He says, you're done. And right now I'm not done. And we're going to continue on next week talking about Solomon and his request to God. And how we can model that same request. And how it may change your life forever. As we sign off this week, just remember it's always a trust and obey kind of day. (music)